You guys thought that was the voice of God coming down, right? You didn't see anybody? <laughs> uh, uh, far from it, but we do want to share the Word of God this morning, amen? Amen. Hey, we are in 1 Thessalonians, no shock to most of you guys who have been here over the last few weeks. Uh, we started chapter 2 last week, and uh, we'll continue. I, I, I wanted to try to finish chapter 2 this week. But as I got into it, Jay, I thought, no, I'm not going to be able to navigate uh, all the way through that. And so we're going to look at about six verses. One of the verses where we ended off last week, because it's going to help us to transition into the scripture we're going to cover this morning with context, right? We're going to have to, we'll see that. Um, just a quick refresher for you guys. The letter written here to the Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in Corinth. Uh, upon receiving a report uh, from Timothy, he responds to the report by writing this letter. This letter is the oldest letter in the New Testament. So when you start thinking about Thessalonians and whatnot, this was written prior to the gospel accounts being written or any other book in the New Testament. This was the very first letter to the church written, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to look at some things. We're going to read some scripture we read last week just to help us kind of get back on track and going in the direction that Paul uh, had intended to take them in this letter. Is everybody with me? Tracking with me? I want to make sure I'm not losing anyone this morning. Stay with me, okay? Okay, look, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse 1. You'll recognize these verses, and we'll, we'll mention a few things as we, as we navigate this that were mentioned last week just to kind of freshen things up as we proceed, right? For, that right? I mean, I need to know, right? Okay, okay, okay. Ronnie told me this morning, he said, Trent, I take about three muscle relaxers a day. That's the reason I can't stay awake during Sunday morning service. I said, what are you doing, sharing it with everybody in the church? I said, come on, Ronnie. But let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Remember last week we talked about he, he was emphasizing their own acknowledgement of their own uh, transformation when he says, it, this isn't just something I know, this is something you know that our visit to you was not in vain. And then he refers to them as brothers and sisters, acknowledging that they're part of this family of faith, right? And he says, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of God, we dared. Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? We dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Remember, I alluded to the fact that <clears throat> he was in Thessalonica just for three weeks, right? And this young church was born in just a matter of days. And it was a powerful expression of God and, and his presence in these people's lives. But he had entered into Thessalonica coming out of prison in Philippi where he had been beaten by rod bearers who beat him with rods about the width or diameter of your thumb. So when he, when he rose into Thessalonica and they're sharing the gospel, the reality is that Paul was probably still bearing a lot of the marks that were given to him and laid upon him while he was in Philippi. And so it wasn't as though he was having to tell them the story. The story was before them, right? Man, you see my scars. You see this. And he said, even with the consideration that this could happen again, because the whole reason that situation arose in Philippi was because he was sharing the gospel. Yet it did not deter him. He said, with the help of God, I dared, right, to share it with you too, right? It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful image of the empowering of the Spirit of God in our lives to give us courage and the freedom to speak the Word of God, right? That's a powerful, powerful thing. And he says this, we dare to tell you his, his gospel, remember, not Paul's gospel, but his gospel. Keep that in mind. It's not our story, but it's God's story. 
It's God's message that we carry in the face of strong opposition. He says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. No bait and switch, man. We're not, we're not trying to connive and, 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 and sneak around and, and, and trying to do something that's, that's somewhat nefarious. None of that stuff. He said, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God or tested and entrusted, pistuo, with the gospel, right? We are not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. You know what Paul was saying? We're not checking for Facebook likes or Facebook shares on our message. That's not what we're about, man. We're not about pleasing people, including themselves. They're part of that, and we spoke on that last week, right? And then, and then the scripture says this. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts, present tense and active, meaning a continual testing. You and I, and I said this last week to Colin and to everyone else here, we need to be in a posture that allows ourselves to be laid upon the scales of God and to be tested constantly because the moment our, our motives and our intent aren't being put in check by the Spirit of God, man, we can go astray quickly. And so we need to be exposing ourselves to the testing of God. Right? I need that. Do you need that? I need that. I love, I love and delight when I feel the correction of God in my heart, Augustine, and God says to me, Trent, what is your motive? Man, I had to take a step back and I had to look at the situation and I had to do a quick inventory of my intentions. My am I doing this for the accolades, applause, or consideration of people or am I doing this simply because I want to be obedient to God and I want to experience His pleasure, right? Right? So that's what he says. God tests our hearts. And he, and he says this, you know we never use flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. You know what he was saying? We didn't come to feed on you. We came to feed you. Right? We didn't, we didn't come to devour you. We, we came to give you substance. And he said, we did not put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you, listen, or anyone else. The anyone else is inclusive of themselves because there's times in our lives when we spoke to this that we'll find ourselves, if we're not laid upon the scales being tested, we'll find ourselves doing the thing of God, the work of God, the work of the church to our own delight and pleasure because there's a level of adoration given in the act of service. Oh, Trent. Oh, Trent. I love to hear you preach. Now, only one person said that. But, listen, listen. If we're not careful and we're not on the scales and we're not being tested and we're not being measured, before long you can find yourself singing that worship song in the anticipation that someone's going to come up to you and say, man, was that good. And then all of a sudden, the intent and motive steers away from God and steers to our own pleasures. You know, that's the reason we need to be on the scales. Right? You get this? This isn't, this isn't something that's out there in the ether, man, that we can't grasp. This is reasonable theological understanding of not just who God is, but who we are as people. Okay. He says this, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. And the implication is that they did not assert their authority, right? We could have pushed the envelope, but we didn't. We were gentle and we were kind. And we were considerate. We had compassion that's who I was. That's who we were. And he's speaking of himself and Silas and Timothy. 
Inclusive are the three in every statement that he makes when he says we or our. It's not just him, it's them. And it's not just Trent, it's us in the kingdom work, right? Right? He says we didn't assert authority. On the contrary. And then this is where the scripture picks up. You'll remember some of this. But we're going to cover this because it bookends this, this uh, 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 maternal and paternal analogy that the apostle Paul ends up using here in these few verses to express his and their care for the Thessalonians. And this is what he says. Instead of using authority, he says this. Instead, the contrast, instead, we were like young children among you, Clyde. You got to be careful what you say up here. You don't know who works with who. You don't know who knows Clyde and who don't. Who will call you out and who will laugh with you. So from now on, I will change the names of all people in my stories to protect the innocent. Clyde will become Clyder. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And he continues with this maternal uh, visual, and he says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardships. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. And then he says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. Here's the paternal analogy that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God when it says worthy of God it talks about the value of God the value of Christ who calls you into his kingdom and glory now we're going to pray as we cover these few verses that our, all of our hearts would be open, our minds would be clear, and that Ronnie would not fall into a deep sleep under the influence of muscle relaxers. So every once in a while, everyone just turn your head towards Ronnie and whisper to Ronnie, in Jesus' name, wake up, Ronnie. If I see him starting to teeter a little, I may just go down and sit down with him. We'll do the sermon from row two. Right? Y'all know I love Ronnie. He's the Jesus plumber. Right. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we are a family here. We are all called, though assigned to different things, we're all called to carry this gospel. This isn't a responsibility that we can forsake, but it's a responsibility that we need to be engaged in and, and fulfilling not running or shucking that responsibility. And so God, today I pray, I ask you to open our minds and our hearts regardless of where we've come from, regardless of our past experiences, regardless of how things have, uh, our life experience have shaped us or twisted us or turned us or jaded us. Lord, in these few minutes, just clear our hearts and our minds that we could perceive and understand rightly your love for us, for each of us. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said, Amen. Amen. Okay, let's look at that. Let's, let's go to verse 7, chapter 2. There, Clark. It says right here, instead, we were, we were like young children among you. Remember we were talking about that just a few minutes ago as I read that? Instead of asserting authority, they handled them with gentleness and kindness, right? And then he says this, he says this, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you, right? Now, I know last week we read this first. 
And there's so much that's in this verse, I literally had to go back to it knowing where we were going to close today in verse 12, okay? He says to them, and I don't want this to be, to be redundant in a sense that it sounds like something you've already heard, but I want you to get the intricate things that are being spoken of in this scripture. When he says that his actions, and he equates his actions in this analogy of a nursing mother. It's not just a mother he's talking about. That's not what he equates himself to. He doesn't equate himself to the love of the mom. He equates himself to the love of a nursing mom. Do you know what the difference is in that? A nursing mom is a mother for a given season who has been planted in the midst of a different type of need that must be met. Every mother in here understands that. A nursing mother's responsibilities are completely different than a mother's responsibilities over a 16-year-old child. And you understand that, right? A nursing mother is planted in the season of the life of a child when they are at their most vulnerable state, Right? I mean literally can do nothing for themselves. That baby will not eat. That baby will not change its clothes. That baby will not clean the room. That baby will do nothing. Paul says we were brought into this situation and we treated you in a sense that you were 100% not just vulnerable but completely and utterly spiritually dependent upon what we were saying to you. A nursing mother. The child's needs are different. They need to be handled with, with tenderness, gentleness, sensitivity, and loving care. And the child's needs are constant. You can't look at a newborn child, a nursing child, and say, hey, I'll be back in six hours, manage things till I get back. What the apostle Paul was saying, was, man, this, this response that we gave to you in sharing the gospel required of us an oversight that was constant. Our eyes were on you. We saw your needs. And we shared this message to meet the needs that were present in your life. Not only that, man, a nursing baby eats when a nursing baby wants to eat. Which means this. His care for them didn't always correspond with his schedule. You understand what I'm talking about? The long hours of the night. Every nursing mom knows what I'm talking about. When your husband's laying over there snoring and you're waking up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and the husband wakes up the next morning and you're sitting there and you got one eye closed and one eye open and they're wondering, well, why do you look so tired? You're like, I've been up all night servicing the needs of our child because our child needed me at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. My child didn't consider my schedule. Just hungry. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, like a nursing mother caring for her child, is what it says, so we cared for you. And there's something else that he says right there. This is what it says. Now check this out. It says... Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. You know what he was saying right there? You see that possessiveness right there? That pronoun is exclusive in a sense that it's referring to the mother, right? The, the mother, the nurse, and them. It's, it's inclusive and it's, it's possessive. It's her child. Meaning what? He could not shut the responsibility of caring for their needs. Why? Because they belonged to him. They were his responsibility. And as, the, as followers, brothers and sisters in Jesus, if we're to make an application, we need to understand there is a responsibility in the caring for the lives of one another, loving and encouraging one another, walking alongside of one another, that we cannot shut. 
We cannot divorce ourselves from the needs of our brothers and sisters. They're ours because they're His. And He's called us to care for such. And if you forsake that responsibility, understand the shoe will one day flip and it'll be on your feet and you will be the one in need of the responsible party caring for you. This is a reciprocated action in the Spirit and the love of Jesus. So here's a question, rhetorical. Have you divorced your responsibility? Come on. Or are you still married to it? Are you still married to it? If the responsibilities that God has given us were a child, would we say that child is fully nourished, completely healthy, fully developed? Or do we say of the responsibilities that God has given us, if they were a child, if you allow me to use that analogy, if they were, or metaphor, if, you, if they were a child, would we say they were malnourished? Underdeveloped? Because it wasn't convenient? Paul says to them these words, I loved you like a mother. We loved you like a mother would love her nursing child. And he says this, so we cared for you. Sacrifice, right? Sacrifices when it's not convenient. That's the call on our lives, right? Yesterday, I'm at a funeral. Brooke was there, Carrie, some of, uh, uh, of you guys who, who know brother and sister Mary were there as they uh, uh, had a memorial service for their son Andrew. And brother Merrick, uh, told the story of Andrew's birth. I think it was at St. Francis in Louisville. I think I'm correct. 34 years ago, he was born spinal bifida. When he was born, the doctors called him in and basically said to him, we're going to give you guys about 10 minutes and you're going to have to make a decision on what you want to do with this child because it's going to require, man, a whole lot of work and a lot of investment and a lot of energy and a lot of time. And you're going to have to decide whether or not this is something that you guys can do because we don't think that this child is going to make it. And if he does make it, it's going to extract life from you. He said to their surprise, Andrew survives, lives with spinal bifida as well as other deficiencies. He is sent home. He said, we're sent home with more bells and whistles than we knew what to do with. Had no idea. And they gave us all this documentation and all this understanding of how we are to monitor this small child. He said, in the oddest hours of the night, bells are going off, whistles going off, alarms going off. We're having to care for him unlike any of our other children. 100% completely and utterly dependent upon us, requiring us to get up in the late hours of the night. These are conversations that I had with him. And he said, never regretted it. Never resented it. And he said yesterday at that memorial service, 34 years later, of bells and whistles, I thank God for those 34 years. Why? Because he loved his son. His wife loved her son. The apostle Paul said, we cared for you. Why? Because we loved you so much. That's what the scripture says. You can't take from us, Paul would say, 
what we're giving you. Our love is given to you as a mother, nursing mother with her child. This is what the scripture says. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Larry, I just passed the test, didn't I? Huh? You and I know, don't we? We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now check this out. And then he says this. Says this to these guys that they know he loves them. He says, surely you remember. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toll and our hardships. We work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. And he solicits a memory from them. And he says to them, surely you remember. Let me say this. Let me say this. People will remember your acts of love, generosity, compassion, encouragement far longer than they'll remember the words you speak. What the Apostle Paul was saying right there wasn't, hey, y'all remember everything that I said? No, that's not what he says. That's not what he says. He says, surely you remember, brothers and sisters. He refers to them as brothers and sisters in chapter 2 three different times, always reiterating that these strangers that he had spent three weeks with 21 days with, we're no longer strangers, but brothers and sisters. Some of you feel like you're on the outside, don't you? But if you're in Jesus, you are a brother and a sister. I don't care where you've come from, what you've come out of. The only thing that matters is what you've come into. And you've come into, in Jesus, James, the family of God. You are a brother. For you are my sister. And he says to them, remember. And when we're living this thing out, man, remembering moves people to consider the message you are a heralder of. They remember. I've told this story. I hope I don't embarrass them because I love my brother. Man, there's no one in this sanctuary I love anymore than I love Billy Stennett. I mean, I love that dude, man. And he knows it. I love him. But I remember that Saturday afternoon. Man, I hadn't seen Billy in like forever. Been a long time. Neither his fault nor my fault. We had lives, man, that went different. But I remember him as a young man. Occasionally running into him out and about, you'd see him and whatnot. But I remember that Saturday when the knock came on the door, I don't know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. I went to the door and looked out that little window. I was like, man, is this Jehovah's Witness? Because if it is, they're in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to get them in. I'm locking the door. Right? Oh, they're in trouble. But it's Billy. And Carrie Evans sitting there. I was like, Billy Stinnett. Over the, hey, man, come on in. Billy Stinnett sitting on row three, white t shirt, my brother. That's him. <laughs> he came in. We just started talking. And he, he said to me, and to Carrie, not just to me, he said to Carrie, he said, uh, I'm wanting to get me and my family in a church. I'm wanting to, I play God is wanting me to move us and find a church. And he says, where are you guys at? That's basically it. What a paraphrased. Where are you guys at, Trent? Man, we live in the sticks, man. We live out on the other side of Buffalo, Mount Sherman. May I say even Bahala? I mean, we're out there. And I said to Billy, hey, man, we, we go to church in Eatown. I was 30 minutes away. Where's it at? 
Give them the direction. Sit there and have a conversation. Lo and behold, Sunday morning, at 100 Hobson Way, Billy's standing pulling me up. Do you know why he came and knocked on that door? It wasn't because Billy Stinnett remembered some message I had shared from 15 years earlier. It wasn't because he could recite five or ten tenets of Christian theology. It wasn't because of any of those things. You know, you know what he was banking on? He was banking on a memory of an experience of legitimate Love exchanged and reciprocated. Trust that was exchanged and reciprocated. He was banking on that. On how he was treated, how he was engaged, and not how he was spoken to regarding theology, uh, theological things. I say to you, brothers and sisters, that we ought to be living a life that even if the message is lost to the ear, the message of our lives is rooted in their memory. Let us at the Driven Church be a people who live such a life that surely they will remember an encounter with us. Surely they will remember an encounter with us. And the Apostle Paul says this to them and then refers to them as brothers and sisters and he says our toil and our hardships. And he says this, listen, he says this and goes on and says, we work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Now he's still building on this maternal metaphor that he started this with. He was saying, man, we work night and day. You know what he's saying? We cared for you like a, like a nursing mother. And guess what a nursing mother's job isn't? It isn't scheduled. It's a night and day job. A mother's work is never done kind of thing. And every mom in the sanctuary is like, amen, never stops. And he says to them, we work night and day not to be a burden to you. I gave you my... I, I remember uh, when Clark and uh, Taylor were both in school and for a while Taylor was playing volleyball and uh, Clark was just being Clark. And, uh, you know, but he wanted, Clark wanted to be there, man. He wanted to watch those games. And I remember, I remember I was working uh, a large portion of this time. I, I was at uh, Glasgow and uh, then I ultimately ended up transferring up to the E-Town plant. But as Wes knows, there were many weeks, was there not Wes, where we're working 50, 60, even 70 hours, were we not? And there were times, man, where you're getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're not getting home till 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That was legit, was it not? Six and seven days a week. And there were times, man, where... Oh, work required of us uh, to be there, and I, I was paying the bills and feeding my children and, 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 and trying to provide for my family. So there were certain things, man, to my own shame that I was not able to engage in to the level and extent, Darwin, that I wished I could have as a father. But you know who championed my, father, my, my children's causes? My wife. I remember she would go, she'd get up, she'd drive all the way to Shepherdsville. My kids went to school in Shepherdsville. Don't ask me why. I'll tell you that another time, I suppose. She'd get up, she'd go to work. She worked at the DAV. She worked with some beautiful people at DAV and some people that weren't so beautiful. The beautiful one was my sister, Brooke. The not so beautiful ones was beep. I ain't right? And I remember, and Brooke would tell you, sometimes that job was demanding. Sometimes that job's frustrating, aggravating irritating. And she would go up there and she would work that job with her sister in Jesus, cousin in blood. And she'd get off that job 
She'd pick the kids up at school. She'd bring the kids home. And if there was a ball game or whatnot, man, she would be out. I'd still be able. And then she would take off. She'd get them all dressed up. And, man, they're going to Somerset. They're going wherever they got to go. And, man, it seemed like she was running at all times. And I remember coming home from work, and they would get in at 10 o'clock at night and whatnot, and she would start this whole thing over the next morning. And she never, never let the children feel like they were a burden to her. There was never a time when, when things transitioned and then it was Clark playing basketball and she was running all over the countryside making sure that everything was being done, everything, every corner, every, every little thing, well, every need was being met. Never did she resent that. And if you were to ask my children, they would say, they never saw mom resenting having to do that. While she'd done everything at work, while she'd done everything here at the church that she does, while she was doing everything she could for me, she was still doing even more and even more. Night and day. There'd be times I'd say, boy, she looks so tired. And then the next morning, man, she was at it again as I shuttled off to work. And I knew I wouldn't see her till later that night because, man, she was going night and day out of love for her children to encourage and to be present with her children. The apostle Paul said to those people in Thessalonica, man, I busted it day and night so that I wouldn't be a burden to you while I preach the gospel. That was the why behind the busting. I didn't want to be a barrier. I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to block the message. That's what he was saying. Well, I preached the gospel to you. And then he says this. He says this. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Martus is the word witness. It's where we get the word Martyr, right? Martyr, martus. You know what it actually means? It means an ear witness or an eye witness. An ear witness or an eye witness, meaning you heard and you saw. You know what Paul's saying? You were witnesses, not of just what we were saying, but what we were doing. That's very convincing and powerful. That's what he was saying. You heard us, all the more you saw us. And you know what else he said? And so did God. You are a witness, and so is God. Who heard us and saw us. Heard us and saw us what? Being holy, righteous, and blameless. conversation that you heard was holy. Our actions were holy. What you heard of us was righteous. and saw of us was righteous. What you heard of us was blameless. And what you saw of us was blameless. It keeps bringing me back to how a church is erected in such strength in 21 days. And it was because there was no mixed messages being shared. He was saying, you're a witness. You heard us and you saw us. Everything about us. We had nothing. I want to be as confident as St. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were. And I pray, oh God, help me to be holy, to be righteous, all in Jesus, not of my own works. Oh God, help me to be blameless. So Chase can see. So Wes can see. So Ben can see. So Augustine can see. So Gabe can see it. Do I? Do Louise, even Ronnie. Oh, 
that they might hear and see. And then he says this. He says this. And we're going to close, okay? Let's close on these two verses. He swings from this maternal application, talking about the tenderness, the willingness to sacrificially give to them, to be heard and seen without hiding anything. And then he swings this thing, the pendulum, from maternal to paternal. And this is what he says. For you know that we dealt with each of you. Each of you, Kevin. You see the individual in that? Instead of him saying, we dealt with the church. Do you see what Paul does right there? And I want you to know this this morning. You are a part of the larger collective the body of Christ. But don't ever fool yourself in thinking that God doesn't see you. You. Each of you. And that's what Paul says right there. For you know that we dealt with each of you. Guess what that would imply? Dealt with them differently. You know why? Because they had different needs. They had come from different places. They had been wounded and scarred in different ways. And Paul was literally saying, if you allow me to create this vision, could you imagine the three of those guys pulling each person in that Thessalonian church aside and saying, Brooke, we need to just talk. We want to talk about you and God. I want you to know. Could you see Paul say, I want you to know how much God loves you. Oh, he loves them all, but don't forget he loves you, the individual. Some of you feel like God doesn't love you. He loves you as long as you're connected to the larger group. But as an individual, man, I'm so tarnished, scarred, bruised, broken, bent, stained. He can't love me. So I'm going to sit as close to, to Carrie as I can, like Janine is back here. And maybe the love of, for Carrie will kind of fall off on me, this osmosis type thing, right? But that's not how it works. He sees you, scarred, broken, twisted, wounded, tarnished, flawed. Paul brings them all in individually. You can see it. God loves you. And he says that he dealt with them on an individual basis, like each of you, like a father. Like a father. Deals with his own children. The word paternal, the word paternal meaning ascribed to a, the father, paternal, is derived from the Greek word that we get the word father right here, pater. It's the Greek word for father, pater. So you get paternal. You, you tracking? You got that right? You know what that word means, pater? This is what it means. One who imparts life and is committed to it. <laughs> oh man, some of you you've never known a father like that. I've never known a father like that until I've known, come to know my heavenly father. I didn't have a dad like that. Didn't look anything like it. But the apostle Paul was saying to them. To those, like a dad would, Kevin, I'm committed to you. Peter, that's how I treat you. Because I'm committed. I will not abandon you. That's what he's saying. And then he says this. As a father deals with his own children, Peter, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Yeah, we're going to close on that verse. 
He said, as a father loves his own children, and this is how a father should love his own children, encouraging and comforting. And then he said, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Now, in the Greek, encouraging and comforting consists of two words. It's a combination of words. All right? Now, you've got to get this. You've got to get this. One of those things hidden, but you've got to get this. Encouraging and comforting consists of two words. The second word in both, the second word in encouraging is the word kaleo, and it means to call or to advocate for. All right? The second word in comforting is methiome, and it means soothing speech or healing speech. What's well, that sweet, ain't it? But you know what the first word in the two that they have in common? It is the Greek word para. And do you know what that means? To be beside, up close. You know what Paul is saying? There ain't no comforting and no encouraging happening at a distance. Para, kaleo. Now you want to encourage, you got to get up close. You got to be invested. You got to be personal. And he says in regards to the comforting and the encouraging, both of which requires you to be intimate with the individual to encourage and to comfort. If you're intimate, if you're engaged, if you're personal, tied to, invested in, and committed, then you're able to urge them. What? What does the scripture say? Urge you to live lives worthy of God. People aren't listening to our urging because they're not experiencing or encouraging and are comforting. But we at TDC, what I plead with you, and I plead in my own heart for myself, Jay, is that I would live a life engaged, up close, and personal that I might encourage you that I might speak healing words to you up close and intimate around a coffee table if need be on a Friday morning to be an encouragement. And why? So when I urge you to live lives worthy of God, there's merit to my urging. And I'm not so easily dismissed. Because the investment is undeniable. <laughs> Somebody done opened the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> That's good. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you know why he's encouraging and he's comforting them and then he's urging them? I won't tell you why. Because you've been called. Got that? Into his kingdom and his glory. <laughs> yeah. Every one of you. Every one of you. Every, I said, each of you have been called into his kingdom and into his glory. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I curse that one. But some of you don't feel like that. You know why? Because there was a time in your life when, for the sake of his kingdom and his glory, 
Someone should have been encouraging you. Someone should have been comforting you. And it wasn't happening. But God in his goodness has brought you here today because God wants you to know he's your encouragement. He's your comfort. And in God's people you will find that. Because God's got a call on you today. Whether your past experience would attest to that being real or not, I say to you today, because of God's word, that is absolutely true. And it's incumbent upon you and I to walk in the fullness of who God has called us to be, that we might be the types of agents like Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that no one will leave us lesser no one will leave us more discouraged, less comforted, but instead because of the presence of God in our hearts, expressed in our lives, directed towards them, they'll leave us with that type of testimony, saying, man, I want to be there where God is real and the people engage him and express his love like that. Because every time I'm around that, Jay, I feel urged. <laughs> I feel urged, as the scripture says, to live a life worthy of God. Now let me say this, and we'll, we're going to take communion, okay? Regarding communion, you're a visitor here today, and you say, man, I'm not a part of the TDC family. Can I take communion? You're a part of Jesus? Then you're part of the family. And you absolutely can take communion. And I would say to you, if you're in Jesus, you need to remember. Surely you remember. But there's a young lady here at the church, and she's not here today, and it's the only reason I'm going to say this. And I'm going to ask uh, Larry, go ahead and turn off the podcast. Stop it right there. Bless the podcast listeners. 